Okay, so today we're going to be back. We're going to try, if we can, to uh, finish up Luke 14. So if you want to go ahead and turn there. Again, we're studying the life of Christ through a harmony of the Gospels. And, uh, and so in Luke chapter 14, last week as we were together, um, Jesus was having dinner uh, with a group of people. And they were... Uh, they got into a discussion about him healing on the Sabbath. Remember, we said, why would that be wrong? Why would it be wrong to heal somebody on the Sabbath? Yeah. Well, it's not. But they took it as being wrong because they thought that Jesus was working, that he was doing work on the Sabbath. And the reality is, is uh, that he said, I work and my father works. But the point being is, is that oftentimes Jesus... When he was confronting people, when he was ministering to people, when he was preaching, when he was teaching, when he was healing, when he was doing what, when he was doing his father's will, which is what he came to do, when he was doing his father's will, his father's will would often run into conflict with the people. The truth has a divisive nature to it. It divides light from dark. It divides death from life. It divides hate from love, right? God's word, God's truth is divisive. And as we read it and as we grow in our understanding on it, it should be uh, uh, sanctifying us as well, right? It should be pointing out to us things in our lives where we're not walking according to his truth and uh, give us to strengthen the desire to turn away from our sin and to turn back to him and walk with him accordingly. And so God's word, ha- God's word always has a divisive nature about it. It brings peace and harmony between the believer and God, but it brings division between the world, the flesh, the devil, and God, right? The world, the flesh, and the devil, and God, there's a division that takes place when the truth steps in. And so when that truth does step in and divides us as individuals, we better make sure that we fall on the side of God's point of view and not the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so often in our lives, one of the main things that gets in our way is, well, I feel like, right? Well, Lord, we were just talking about that a few minutes ago. Right? I feel like the reality is, is God's truth is not uh, based on our feelings, but our feelings should be based on God's truth. Like our emotions, our desires, our will should be uh, guided by strengthened by God's truth as opposed to the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so God's word has a very divisive uh, nature to it. He said that in the scriptures. He said, I I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. And, And we have to realize that this world is full of darkness. This world is full of death. This world is full of hate. And this world is full of lies. I don't think every minute a sword, though, literally, do you? Well, it's a. It, the Bible is called the sword of the Lord. It's a. It's a. It's a weapon that attacks. It's a weapon that cuts and carves. It's a weapon that can be used to defend oneself, right? But it's also an offensive weapon as well. And so he uses but, it in, in an illustrative, illustrative way. But it was way. like within the family. Wasn't that used at the point when he said, you know, father did We're going to see that today, and we'll actually see that today. And, and, yeah, and and again, so what he's talking about is God's truth acts like a sword. It literally can split families apart. So let's uh let's go ahead and look today. We're going to look at two more parables. We had a parable last week of the parable of the guests at a uh, banquet. Remember, and he told us don't go try to find the best seat in the house. Go sit in the worst seat in the house, and that way the 
the guy that's heading the uh, banquet up can invite you to come up and you'll get honor. And remember we learned last week that those who humble themselves will be exalted and those who exalt themselves will be humble, right? And we live in a world where people are all about pumping themselves up, lifting themselves up. It's all about me, I, I, I. And what Jesus is saying is if you live for I, 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 he's going to humble you. And all of us in our lives have seen that. When you've went out and lived your life chasing after I, 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 right, what did it do? It almost destroyed you. It humbles you. But when we allow Christ to be the center of our focus, of our thoughts, our words, our actions, when we allow God's truth, God's love to be what guides us, then it actually goes from being about I to being about who? God and neighbor. Remember, the greatest commandment is to do what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so we live in a world where it's all about self. If I got anything left over, I might share it with somebody around me that can help me. And then if I got any time left over, maybe I'll give God a little something. You see, we live the exact opposite way. We live for self, and then we live for those who are the closest around us that can help us out the most. That's who usually our best friends are. Our friends are usually the ones that can benefit us. So a lot of our friendships are based on self-aggrandizement, right? About, about this is what's good for me. But as soon as your neighbor begins to start asking you to give of yourself for them, then a lot of times we cut ourselves off from our neighbors, don't we? Now, I, I had plenty of time for, for you to do this for me, but when it comes time for me to do this for you, we kind of cut it off and say, no, I don't have time for that. But the Bible teaches us that we are to live in the exact opposite way of the world. The world says live for self, live for a few people around you, and then if you've got any time left over, you can live for God. Where God says, no, you live for me, then you live for others, and then you put yourself last. And that ties exactly into what he said about last week. If I exalt myself, what happens? If I make it all about me, what happens? Me gets humbled. Right? But if I make it about God first and then others, where am I on that list? I'm last. And so when I begin to make it about others, then what happens? He lifts me up. You see? It's kind of going against the, um, what's that? verse in the Bible, in Exodus, when he was talking about um, loving the Lord thy, thou shalt not have any of God before me, he basically make yourself a God. That's what an idol is. And an idol is a self-made God. God. Yep. He doesn't want... What about somebody like Trump? I mean, he's exhausted, but I don't know if he's <laughs> giving credit to God or himself. Well, it, 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 most politicians give credit to themselves most of the time. It, it, no matter what side of the aisle you fall on. Uh, Trump is a very, uh, very self, self-proclaimed, self-proclaiming person, right? Uh, and he's being he's being humble, but but you know, uh, I I really don't like to get into talking about the politicians because I think they're all in it for themselves. I, I don't think there's very yeah. many of them up there that are not there for making money and power, and it's about me and look what I'm doing for my country, as opposed to. You know, it, it being about, as opposed to being about the country and about the citizens, it's more about look what I'm doing for well, the country. Look what like look what our party is doing for the country, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And politics is the the 
the reality is, is uh, a lot of that is just a mess. Well, well that started out as really wanting to do some good or correct an evil that they right. see. But at some point, it seems that they slip into the, you know, a power thing and, and, right. and find themselves trapped. Right. Really. It's the way of the world. And, <laughs> yeah, and it can be the same way in, in, in religious circles, too. Now you still get those same kind of same attitudes in religious circles. Uh, and so we're, we're always to stay humble. But let's go ahead and look at these couple of parables here. So today we're going to look at two parables. And I want us to see in the first parable we're going to see a call to discipleship. Which one? What, where are we starting? Um, 14, 16. We're going to see a call to discipleship. And then in the second parable we're going to see the cost of discipleship. So in the first parable, we're going to see the call to be a disciple. And in the second parable, we're going to see the cost of what it takes to be a disciple, okay? So let's go ahead and do that first parable. This is Luke 14, verses 16 um, through 24. It says, But Jesus said to him, A man was giving a big dinner, and he invited many. And at the dinner hour, he sent his slave to tell those who had been invited. Come because everything is now ready. And yet they all alike begin to make excuses. The first one said, I purchased a field and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. Uh, and another one said, I bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to try to try them out. Please consider me excused. And another one said, I took a woman as a wife. And for that reason, I cannot come. Right. And the slave came back and reported this to his master. Then the head of the household became angry and said to his slave, Go out once into the city streets and lanes of the city and bring in those who are poor, those with disabilities, those who are blind, and those who are limping. And later the slave said to the master, What you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the slave, Go out into the roads and the hedges, and press upon them to come in so that my house will be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my dinner. All right. So, Jesus, where is Jesus telling this story at? It says he's reclining to the table. Well, remember he's sitting around a table. Uh, I guess it must be with the Pharisees. Yeah, he's still with the Pharisees at the table. And he had just given a parable about a banquet. And about people who were drawing attention to themselves. And he was telling them, look, it's not about you. And if you live for you, you're going to be humbled. So now he's going to continue to use this same theme of a banquet. What is a banquet? A feast. A feast, right. All right so how many of y'all in this room have been invited to come banquet with us on Sunday after church? All of you. All right. So all of you have been invited to come to feast. Now, what is the point of a feast? It's to sit around and to fellowship, enjoy one another's company, eat some good food, right, and enjoy Christian fellowship. Like, that's what one of the reasons we, we come together to do those things. And who is it that enjoys the fellowship the most? Us. <laughs> well, God probably, if it's a fellowship. Well, it does delight him for his saints to dwell together in harmony. There's no doubt about that. But which people at that table is going to enjoy the feast the, the most? The ones who need it the most. The ones who are hungriest. Yeah, the hungriest. That's exactly right. Right. And and not only that, but those who are there because it's about other people, not about themselves. You see? 
and and there's a joy in that. There's a joy in being around a table like where where around. yeah, you like to be around and other people that are like you. Yes, because we are created to serve, and when we live for what we were created to do, we find the most fulfillment in life. We we live. God created us to live for other people. And one of the ways you can live for other people is prepare a table for them and have people come over and eat. We love to cook food and have somebody tell us the food's good, right? I love for people to cook food and have me come over and eat. And then I say, oh, that food's good. I got a little lady. The first day that I started at my church, the first Sunday I preached at my church, uh, she she left two blueberry banana nut bread muffins on my office desk and said, you know, we're glad you're our pastor. And it really touched me that... She thought about me enough to go put in little muffins on, on my desk in my office, but it I um I even enjoyed it more when I ate one because they were delicious. And then I took one home that night and I had it for for with my coffee that evening. And the beauty of that was the next week I went back and I told Deborah the, the lady that cooked for me, I said those were really thoughtful. And they not only were they thoughtful, they were extremely good. Mm-hmm. This last week we had a finger food uh, social after church to pack boxes for the kids. And uh, she brought a whole big uh, bowl of those muffins. Well, you know when that service got when that got over with, there was a bunch left in that bowl. What do you think I did? I went over there and got some and took them home. And I've been enjoying those things, right? And so, but but you know, but the truth of the matter is, right? Yeah, I probably will. But the truth of the matter is this. Who enjoyed it more, me eating the muffins or her knowing that I was? I think you're Bless. telling her. I think you're telling her, but her giving also. Yeah, we love. That's what we were created to do. We were created to live for other people, and when we do what we're called to do, we find fulfillment. We find meaning in life. Think about the life that you lived when you were doing drugs and alcohol. When you were out in the world struggling, you who were you living for? You, you and you were the most empty, broken useless thing on the face of the earth right and so you gather yourself around hanging around with other people that think and act like you do right just as empty as you are and nobody ever gets full and so jesus is talking uh, around a, a table with a group of religious people that don't know his father and he loves them and he wants them to see the truth so he's teaching them these truths at the table. And so what he's doing is he's taking this moment, sitting around a banquet table to give them a parable of a banquet. All right. And so what did he say about the banquet? A man was given a big dinner. He invited who? Many. Many, Many were invited. Does that mean everybody was invited? No. 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 There, you know, there's actually whole civilizations of people that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ yeah. to this day. They've never heard it. They don't even know what it is. Was, they hadn't even been invited yet. I was wondering, why did they all make excuses? We'll, we'll see in a minute. So he was invited many. At the dinner, at, at that hour, he sent his slave to tell those who had been invited, come because everything is ready. Huh? He's rich, he's got slaves, but not only that, his slave was a dutiful slave because the slave went out and did what he wanted. And when we think of slavery, immediately growing up here in the South, our, 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 our picture of slavery is a picture of brutality and bondage and abuse. Yeah. But did you know that in the Bible, Paul 
in almost every letter he writes, says at the very beginning of his letter, he says this, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. You know what he's calling himself? A slave. I'm a slave to Jesus. That's what the word bondservant means. It's somebody who holds you by bond. They've got, they own you. And Paul gloried in the fact that he was a slave to Jesus. Because Paul had been saved from the world, the flesh, and the devil. And at one time in his life, he was a slave to the world, to the flesh, his own desire, and to Satan. And now God has rescued him from that slavery and set him free. But now he is a slave to Christ. And the truth of the matter, the beauty of the matter is, as a slave of God, we are the freest creatures on the earth. We are serving the Creator. And we are living our lives in such a way that we are fulfilling the very reason we were created. And that's when we know the most freedom. When we fulfill what God created us to do, we know the most freedom of anybody. We are free to serve Him. I was just having a conversation with one of my deacons yesterday, and he and I, um, we've been having fun before since I'm getting to know him because there's a part of him that says you got to be obedient. Like in order to be a Christian, you got to be obedient. You got to work and you got to do these things. And the truth of the matter is he's right in a sense, but it's not that we have to. It's that we've been set free and we get to. Yeah. So what happens is, is God changes your want to. He sets you free from slavery. What were you a slave to? Sin. Sin. Your own wicked heart, the world around you, and the devil who had you as his, he owns you. And Jesus comes in when he died on the cross and purchased your soul, purchased your life, and redeemed you. He bought you back from the slavery of sin itself and the devil and has now set you free to be his. And when he set Paul free, when he nodded him off of that horse and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? God was delivering him from the bondage of self-righteousness, self-sufficiency, being a murderer. He set him free from all of that and Paul never got over it. He said, I'm going to serve him. I'm going to be a slave to him. And by being a slave to God, he became the freest man on the face of the earth. It was the very reason he could sit in chains in a prison in Rome and praise God and sing praises to him. As a prisoner in a Roman prison, he was the most free man on the face of the earth. Why? Because God had set him free eternally. He was a child of God. And in that, he recognized that he was now a slave to Jesus. Did you know when we call him... Which means nobody else can own him. That's exactly right. The Creator owns me. And He's the only one I have to answer to. And He set me free. And because He's purchased my freedom for me, I'm going to love Him and I'm going to honor Him and I'm going to serve Him. And it's not that I have to, it's that I want to. When I was living in the world, the flesh and the devil, I served them because I had to. I had to do what my lust and my desires were telling me to do. I had to do what the, I was a slave to sin. But God has set me free. And so this man 
sends his slave to go and invite more people. Now, in the Bible, who would be the slaves? I just told you all the answer to this. They would go out and pass out the invitation for everybody to come to the meal. Somebody that he had to trust, that's for sure. Yeah, they, Preachers. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> Preachers. Preacher. It's the apostles and the, his disciples. Yeah. We've been called now to say, hey, Jesus has set me free. Why don't you come to the banquet and be set free from the world, the flesh, and the devil? And so what is the, the who is it that goes out? His disciples. And what message do they share? There's freedom in Christ. It's called that. What is that message called? Hope. It is. It brings hope, but what is the message called? No, it's called the uh, the blank of Jesus Christ. The blank according to Matthew. The blank of the gospel. It's good news. So the disciples, right? The disciples, the slaves have now been sent out to go and share the gospel. The gospel is the invitation to come to the banquet. And who does he share it with? Look, he went and shared it with many. So to as many as he ran into, he shared that message with them. Come, my, my owner has, has prepared a banquet and he's invited you to come. Come to the banquet. So we get to share it with as many as we can. But the reality is we need to understand that there have been many people who died never getting the invitation to come. I think I get the picture now. So, yet they're all like, every one of them that he invited began to, they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said, I just purchased a field and I need to go look at it and it pleased, uh, please consider me to be excused. He's got money. He's got money. Good. And remember, that's so important you bring that up, David, because the crowd that he's sitting around at the table with at this thing are all affluent members of the Jewish society. They all have money. And they all have influence and power. So then saying that would be fall right into their lifestyle. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah, you'd have to go check that. Yeah, I got to go check the land out. I just purchased this land. I got to make sure that I got to make sure that the borders are, you know, I got to make sure that the survey. It's not like it's going anywhere. Right. But what's he, what are they purchasing? Land. And so they begin to make excuses. He says, I purchased a field. I need to go look at it. So I can't come to your banquet because I've got things to tend to. I've got some land that I purchased. And then the next guy said, I just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. Immediately, immediately, I think of riding to church on Sunday morning and going by the the Chatham County dock there and seeing all of those fancy trucks with them big long trailers and them boats on them all going to get in the river. This is my one day off and I got a fancy boat and I got to go ride in it, you know? Or how many friends got four-wheelers and, mo- oh, we're going out to the, the mud bog this weekend all day Sunday and we're going to go ride the trails. Or or we got a poker run with our motorcycles this week that we got to go do, do on Sunday. It's always something. I just bought five yoke of ox and I got to go try them out. All right, so what do you do? He made an excuse. And then I get tickled at the poor last fella. What did he say? And the last one said, I took a woman and I can't come. <laughs> like, he, <laughs> like he, he really threw his wife under the bus, but basically what he was saying is, I got to do what my wife tells me to do. <laughs> right? Right? And so for you married folks in the room, y'all can understand. I don't understand that. That's probably why I've never been married, because I would never listen well, to a woman. Then he didn't have a wife that respected him. That, that's exactly right. That's good. Good. So you understand why Jesus is t- telling this parable. Like, it can apply, we can all relate to it. 
And how many times have we stayed home on a Sunday from a church service because we have better things to do? Like, we, we all do it. We've I all done it. I was asleep before, but that was many years ago. Right. Yes. And, and, we, and, and think about all of the times that God calls you to serve him and you constantly make excuses why you can't. Yeah. I don't think about that. Yeah, well, no, none of us do. You know, I um, <clears throat> I had some work I wanted to get finished last night. I did. I actually did get it finished, but then I stayed up too late because I wanted to watch a movie, uh, you know, the Oppenheimer movie about the atomic bomb. I wanted to see the movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was a decent movie, but point is, I the three hours that it took to watch that movie went by like that. Went, but when I was grinding and doing the work I needed to do, it dragging on, I was sleepy and I couldn't get my work done. You see. Why? Because my desires were towards what I wanted to do as opposed to what I... I, I, I totally I, relate with you there. And, and it's the same thing. Think about it. Just even in general life. I, I got tickled the other day. I saw a post and it was a guy sitting out on the curb outside of his job and it, and it said, uh, me considering never going back. Like he was on his lunch break and he was like, me uh, when my, on my last five minutes of my lunch break trying to determine whether I need to go back to work or not. And and there's a truth in that. Like you've been, you know, uh, my dog's at the house taking a nap in the bed. I got a nice comfortable home with some good snacks in the refrigerator. And here I am at work, like toiling and laboring. Right, right. But but again, as soon as I get off of work and get home, boy, I'm just so happy, you know. But when I'm working, it's like, oh, like I've got to do this. It's called work. Right, right. Well, work is work. It's almost like a reward. Right. It's, it's it, it, it is. It's but the, work. but the point being is is that I, God has given me that job to serve in a community to provide for other people. Like, right. and I need to learn to love and appreciate that in the same way that I love and appreciate being able to go home and take a nap or be faithful you know, things. Yeah. And so we. Again, we all make excuses. There are going to be plenty of times in your life where God is going to call you to do something and you're going to find ways to make excuses about it. That's what he's saying here. People make excuses. And another one said, I took a woman as a wife and that reason I cannot come. And uh, the slave that came. Last one, that was like, that was the worst excuse because I'm like, you could bring brought your new wife with you. Well, it's been all, I don't know. It's kind of an all male thing, you know. Yeah. Well, and not only that, but what if his wife's not a believer? Yeah. It's hard to get you. Uh, I, I and I know a lot of people. I know many they people that are. Excuse me, they don't feel like going. So right. the new wife it works. Right. So I, I know plenty of people that are in mixed marriages. Well, what do I mean by that? I'm not talking about racially mixed. I'm talking about what well, believer and a non-believer. Yeah, I am. Right. And and it's it's it's, it's terrible because you. You want to serve the Lord, and you want them to know the Lord, and you want them to be free in Christ and to know salvation, and to come and fellowship with you, and pray together with you, and read your Bibles together, and they could care less about any of that. Yeah. And and so it's always hard in that sense, you know. And the, the husband is always thinking because you always up there in that church, you probably messing around with the pastor or something like that. There's all these guilty things going on, and 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 the reality is is when both were the husband and the wife are believers and they're serving together and they're fulfilling their call. And it's a wonderful thing. There's a close bond there. But there are a lot of relationships where one is not a believer. And it isn't. I mean, that's it's probably just as hard to get away from a, a, a disgruntled wife to go and to come to a banquet as it would be to 
you know, to, to just stay home and keep the peace in the family. And not only that, and, and uh, Lori can probably attest to this, it's a struggle for the believer to stay faithful. Like, they see their unbelieving spouse or whoever sitting around, and, and, and it's like, uh, why should I keep fighting this? I'll just, it'd be just easy for me to stay home. And, and I've seen that in a lot of relationships where one person was on fire for the Lord and the, the spouse wasn't. And eventually, it hardly ever works where the, the unbelieving person is influenced by the believer and they start coming to church. It usually actually works the other way around, doesn't it? It's usually the believing one that winds up being drugged like back a, in. It is like an impenetrable divide. Yeah. And and so we pray, you know, you and you and the Bible tells us don't seek to get out of those relationships because by your your actions, your yeah, your, your spouse is sure. That. But you but you but the reality is is there is a chance that God could use you as an instrument to help them to know Christ, and that's what we pray for. Oh, yeah, Amen. See there, and so it does work. Like it works. And, and, you know, in God's way and in God's time, God could save anybody. And so we pray for those who are in those types of marriages. You pray for the, the believer and for the non-believer. All right. So um, the slave came back to the master, reported to the master, and the head of the house became angry. So in this story, who do you think the head of the house is? Jesus. God. God. Either way. All right. And why is he angry? Everybody's making excuses. Because God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. He gave this great sacrifice of his son. That has to feel like a slap in the face to God. It hadn't happened here yet. But but he left heaven. So God sacrificed his son being down here. That sacrifice of his family and and his... uh, It was the banquet lamb. His um, serenity up there. Yeah. When God came, when Jesus came to earth, God he sacrificed, he left heaven. Okay. He left that relationship. Well, I just, I, I, I mean, yeah. I, I, I was, that, but, but the realization that, you know, that's one of the things that I, after we got into it last week about it, I started thinking about the, these guys that's sitting here, you know, and um, where is their brain? I mean, can they comprehend <laughs> Can they comprehend no, what not. Christ is going to that, do? That's a great question. All right, so... Well, so, at, the, at this point, they can't because they're non-believers. But remember, one of the things that we learned, and this was a couple years ago when we first started talking about Jesus and parabolic teaching, the parables are not little stories to help open people's eyes to the truth. He doesn't give us the parable so that the lost can figure it out. That's not the point of the parable. The point of the parable is he gives the parable and the believing one's ears perk up and go, I need to know what that means. The non-believer goes, what is this wackadoo talking about? You see? Well, if you can't see yourself in that. So the reality is is that Jesus is sharing his father's words with that crowd and it is going to have an effect. His word will not return turn void. It's either going to save those that hear it or it's going to judge those that hear. When Nicodemus went to him, they said, "We know that nobody can do what you do. You have to be sent by God." But then Jesus immediately turned the subject from "we" to "you must be born again." 
Like right. that is why Nicodemus was really there. Right. Nicodemus was hearing those words and he was being drawn to him. Because we see later on that Nicodemus actually stands up for him in a in a meeting of yeah. his peers. And then at the end of the story, he's with Joseph of Arimathea getting the spices to go get the body prepared. But so, he said those that we we know. Right. I mean there there had to be ones right. there saying, How does he do this? Yep. You know, I can't do this. Nobody can do this. So the slave comes back and reports to his master and that uh, master becomes angry and I said I want he says I want you to go out into the streets the lanes of the city and bring in those who are poor those who are disabled those who are blind and those who are limping now remember there are spiritual ramifications to all of those physical ailments we talked about them last week who is a person who is poor they don't have anything to offer, right? Poor in spirit. Um, who are those who are disabled? Not these guys around this table. They're plenty able to do whatever, whatever they want to do, you see? What about those who are blind? Remembering that Jesus, um, they asked Jesus, they said, are you calling us blind? They asked him that later on. And they said, are you the one calling us blind? We're the one that has the scriptures. We understand it. We're the rabbis. We're the Pharisees. We're the Sadducees. We're the scribes. We are the religious. And you're trying to tell us we don't see what they say? And what did you say? That's exactly what I'm saying. You're blind. But they were uh, spiritually blind. Jesus said, go out into the highways and the hedges and call the ones that are physically blind. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. Go get those who are lost. Go find my those sheep. Who are in need the most. Go find my sheep. They so how does he do it? Them. He goes out into the highways, into the hedges. Um, he goes out and to the streets, the lanes, the alleys, and says, "Bring these people to my feast." So what is the, what's happening to the invitation and the banquet? He's inviting more people now. The first group that got invited turned him down. It's actually a picture of the nation of Israel, isn't it? That, and that's what I was just saying. The Jewish people, he came to his own. Him, he, went to he came to his own. His own people did not receive him. But to all of those that did receive him, that believed on his name, he gives them the right to become children of God. So he says, now, and remember, these Jewish people, they think about the poor. They think about the blind, the disabled, the lame, the sick, the crippled, uh, the disenfranchised, the disenchanted. God never would bless those kind of people. The reason that they're in the condition that they're in is because they're cursed of God. We are God's people, and that's why we have the nice clothes and the nice houses and the big tables and the big dinners. This is how they think. And we, right? Well, and the prosperity gospel is all about that. Oh, if you come to Jesus, you'll have a... Four, four, you know, but, a four-car right. garage and a this. model wife. And, say this. and you come to Jesus like us homeless and us addicts. When we come to Jesus, Christ yes, we do. We get a roof over our heads. We get a car to drive. We get those things, but we get those things when we're focusing on him. He takes care of us so we don't have to suffer like Good. that no more. Good. But that does happen for us. Might not be on a grand scale. But, but you're not pushing now. for that grand we're scale. Not. You're pushing for something but, else. But we, we no longer have to live in the survival mode. Right. Well, and the difference is this. 
you're not living chasing after your wants. Right. Yeah, but he, he provides. He provides. No, she, she is after her want, but what she wants is no. to help everybody. So the Bible it. says right. that. I don't want people to have to live in that survival right. mode anymore. So in Philippians, the Bible says that we know that God supplies all of our needs according to his riches in Christ. She's, and the point being is, is that when we become a member of the family, when we accept the invitation and come to the table to dine with him, he provides everything for provides. us that we need. need. Not what, what we, we want, want, but what we need. And the reality what is, is when you were... for me right. was what I needed, but it turned out to be what I wanted. Good. But when you were out in the streets, you were chasing after you wanted, and it was the yeah, exact was... opposite of what you needed. Right. You see how that works? Right. So what happens is, is he turns your heart, he opens your eyes and your heart and your life to the realities and the beauty of the eternal kingdom of God, and then the things of this world begin to matter less and less. And well, that's the things what, that he provided for me, the safety, the roof, the car. They're all wonderful there things. things that I dreamed about before. Sure. All right. So in verse 22, the slave said, Master, uh, what you commanded has been done, and still there's room. So how much room is there at a table? At his table. All of it. There's plenty of room. All right. So nobody can say, well, he didn't make room for me. The invitation is there, and there's plenty of seats at the table. All you have to do is accept the invitation and come, right? All right. And the master said to say, go out into the roads and the hedges and press on them to come. Press on them, or some of your texts will say, compel them to come in. Now, that word compel is a very strong word. It literally means drag them, kicking and screaming, like convince them to come into this table. Compel them to come in so that my house will be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my dinner. Wait a minute. Mm -hmm. Right? For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my dinner. What is he talking about? So his voice, his truth, his word, his promise goes out to who? Many. The reality is is that God speaks to us through natural revelation, so all of creation knows that there is a God. But the banquet invitation, the gospel, goes out to the many. And anyone who will receive that invitation and come, have a seat at the table. He's never pushed somebody out of the room and said, go, you don't belong here. Because one of the indications that you are invited to the table is your willingness to come. All of those other people they invited that were making excuses, what were they telling him? What we have is more important than what you are offering. Kind of the piggyback what Laura was saying is kind of like the slap to God's face. Like, I gave you everything. I gave you this world, and then you, you sinned, and then I tried to reconcile it back this way and then you did all of your dumb stuff and then now I final thing I sent my son to die for you my only begotten son and then you still slap you did what you did to him and then it's like you're slapping me in the face all the time and all I want to do is well the, the so the, the wrath of God is hanging over all of mankind and all of mankind knows it. All of mankind fears death. All of mankind realizes the weight and the condemnation of sin over their lives, sin and death over their lives. Every man feels that and knows that. The invitation gives you the way out. 
The invitation says, leave Sodom before it's destroyed. The invitation says, come into the ark before I seal the door closed. Mm. The invitation says, come to my son. When it comes time to seal the door closed, they're going to be clawing at it just like Noah's ark. Right, because but they're not going to be they're not going to be clawing at it because they want to be at the table with him. They're going to be clawing at it out of self-preservation. Sure, they just want to exactly. live. They just want life. Yeah, they want and what, life instead of hell. Right, and what they're saying is, is that I can find life here in this world, the flesh and the devil. I don't need the life that your son is offering me. And death is inevitable for everybody. Yes. I, I don't get but those who believe on him will never perish. Believest thou this, right? And that's what he said. Tomorrow he said, but those who believe in me will never taste death. Do you believe this? And the reality is, yeah, because Christ has already tasted our death for us. He's already consumed it for us. We don't have to worry about it. So I tell you, none of those who are invited shall uh, taste my dinner. And so... One of the things that we need to understand is, is that our receiving and believing him is not what causes us to be his sheep. Our receiving and believing him proves that we are his sheep. That is so important for you to hear. Listen to what I just said. The invitation, he said, I, um, he said, I call to all, I call to the many. Those that receive me and believe me come. What did he say? I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. And what is the indication that you really are a sheep? When he calls, you respond. So all of those people that were making excuses, they heard the invitation, but they didn't hear the voice of the one who was making the invitation. So, they're coming, the ones who come to the table are his people. The ones that come to his table stop making excuses and come. They realize that the banquet invitation is for a banquet that is much more, uh, that is uh, indescribably greater than anything that the world, the flesh, and the devil can offer. I could see a great satisfaction that. I would say like Pastor Terry or Pastor Bob, whenever they have their Bible studies or services and, you know, stuff and things and, you know, they have the, the fellowship meals with it and they see the congregations and the melting of the different congregations, you know, coming, that it's like the word and the people are gathered together and we're doing, I could see that, I could finally see that that satisfaction well the the delight is that that you're constantly reminded that God's promises are working like that the kingdom is being built and it's not because of what you're doing it's because you're yielding to what he's called you to do and that he's working through you and so is that that how God picks us we're still having a big struggle with that Presbyterian thing God says us we don't choose him well he Jesus said this to his disciples this is what he said you have not chosen me but I have chosen you I mean it can't get any clearer than that and when you read all through the Bible you will never hear the children of Israel called the electing ones or the cho- his choosing people. He never says to Israel, you are my choosing people. Yeah. What does he call them? He call them uh, uh, chosen. 
What? Chosen. Well, the chosen, yeah. The chosen. You are my chosen people. He never in anywhere in the Bible says you are my choosing people. Because when the choice is left up to them, they always make the wrong decision. <laughs> right? And it started in the garden with Adam and Eve. They could choose to trust him or they could choose to trust in themselves. And instead of trusting him, they chose to trust in themselves and it brought death and destruction on the whole world. And ever since then, man has been trying to choose what's right for him instead of just trusting what God has chosen for him. But Jesus did, uh, he was Jewish. He had a lot of feelings for the Jewish. He even called the swine, didn't he? He said, why well, shut up my pearls before the swine? It, but in, in swine, in, in the, it, swine in the sense that it's un, the unbelieving. Okay. So... I thought it meant Gentiles. Uh, no, the, the Gentiles. I meant the Gentiles. The ones that are not I think Jewish. it was. They, they, it was actually, it wasn't swine. It would be goy or dogs is what the Jews would have considered the Gentiles. But the reason they called us dogs is because a dog is an unclean animal. Anything that has padded feet is considered unclean in the Levitical law. Mm. So lions, tigers, bears, oh my. They're all dirty, unclean animals. You're not supposed to pet them or touch them. And there's another one. Considers the one with the hooves unclean. Is that is that Muslims? No, no. But like, wait, wait, wait. The, the Muslims and the Jews both have the same dietary laws. They're both getting them from the same place. They're both getting them from the Book of Leviticus, Deuteronomy. It was anything with a hoof, hoof, uh, foot that doesn't chew from the cud. So a sheep and a goat is very and clean. That's why Jesus just gave us everything, so we're, we don't have to. Well, that's a discussion we won't have everything. time to get into today. But the did po- he not give us everything? Didn't he? Didn't he? All things are. That was that All man. things are clean to eat if they, if they're sanctified by prayer and thanksgiving. Well, there you go. So, but Where's just be glad that you're not a Jewish and that you can eat bacon. But the but the point is, is that. The the invitation goes out to all. And to all of those who are really his, they will respond by coming. They they have to respond by coming because they're his. He died for them and he's interceding for them in heaven. And he sent his Holy Spirit to claim them. And if you truly belong to him, it's not that it's not that the uh, a believer is like a it's not like a like like God just takes a non-believer and just drags them by their hair and pins them down and makes them believe. No, it's a gift. He changes their heart and gives them a gives them a willingness to believe that they didn't have before. He changes but their faith heart. Faith is a gift. Right. So, um, Michael, that's a really good question you're asking, and it's something that you should struggle with, but something we should all struggle with. But in the end. Uh, the truth of the matter is, is that it was about 2,000 years ago that Jesus died on the cross. And if he died for you, and you are his sheep, he was choosing you well before you were ever even thought of, your, or your parents or your grandparents. He was choosing you before you ever had a chance to make a choice. So, but once he's, there's another question. It's once saved, always saved. I don't know if Presbyterians believe you can you can lose your salvation if you go for Okay, so here's the reality. We do not believe that you can lose your salvation. No. Okay. I thought he said that. No. So no. Anybody that any anybody that is truly a Protestant. You keep messing up, and you keep going. He'll take you home. Well, here's the reality. If you could lose your salvation, you would. Okay. Everybody would. If if 
if it's up to you to keep your salvation, then you are your own savior. Right. Depravity, mm-hmm. I guess. We're depraved. We're born dead in trespassing and sin. Yeah. Right. You can't lose All right. So we're going to have to cut the class sh- uh, short. Um, remember, this week we talked about the um, call to discipleship. Next week when we get back together, we will talk about the cost of discipleship. In other words, by coming to the table... There are costs involved. It's going to cost you to be a believer. And so next week we'll learn in the, in the next parable, he's going to show us the cost of being a believer. All right? And Don't read ahead, huh? No, please do. I want you to read ahead and figure out what are the costs. Why you look so glum? Because, I mean, I had nothing. So look, what did it cost me? He just saved me, picked me up out of the gutter, yep. provided for me. Yep. So your salvation was a free gift. It was grace. But as his slave, it's going to cost you. What's it going to cost you? Well, we'll find out next week in the, in the next parable. Don't read it. Right? No, please do. Luke 14. So we did Luke 14, verses 16 through 24. And then next week, we're going to see where discipleship is tested. The cost of discipleship. The test of being a true disciple. And that will be Luke 14, verses 25 through 35. All right, let's close with a prayer. Father, thank you for this time. Uh, Thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. Thank you for forgiving us and loving us. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to save us. Um, Thank you uh, for the hope that we have because of you. And I do pray for every man and woman in this room. It is uh, truly a delight to be able to get into your word and to seek to know you better and to understand you better. And I pray that you will help us all to do that. Um, Just as your uh, Apostle Paul prayed, I pray that you will enlighten our eyes and enlarge our hearts so that we might know your wisdom and your truth and be able to receive it and believe it and share it with others. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.